Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next hour or so. It's my first day back this week for the nightcap. Wasn't here Monday. I was driving back from Baltimore. Tuesday, we had a Sabres game. So this is my first time I can really like, you know, sit down and really collect my thoughts and really, you know, kind of throw them out there about how I thought the Bills played against Baltimore, how I thought that game went, my trip to Baltimore. I went to the game. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Obviously, it's Wednesday. I mean, you know, week five starts tomorrow with the Broncos and the Colts. But real quick, I do want to talk about the Bills' 23-20 win over the Baltimore Ravens this past weekend. I did go to the game. It was a blast. It was my first ever Bills road trip that I had done. Uh, I did it with my dad, my brother, my cousin, and my uncle. And, you know, got some good food, got to travel around Baltimore, got to see Camden Yards for the first time, which was something I did not think I'd be as impressed as I was in. But now, you know, me and my brother have already talked about taking another trip next summer or, well, you know, yeah, yeah, next summer uh, and trying to get to a game, even if it's just, you know, we drive down on a Saturday morning, get to see a game and drive back Saturday night, something like that. But I do want to talk about the game mainly because I, you know, I I really didn't get to put my thoughts on Twitter after the game either. I was trying to get out of the stadium. It was rainy. It was cold. I was not going to put my phone through that. So real quick, before we get the rest of the show going, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled the Bills could get that close game out of the way. I, a part of me really did. You know, quietly, I was sitting there to myself going, I really want this to be a close game, and I want the Bills to win it because I don't want to have to deal with the narrative anymore. You know, for, me, for me personally, for the team, all that stuff, just that the Bills can't win close games, that if it's a one-score game, the Bills will lose. The Bills come from 17 down. They end up winning the game on the final kick of the game, and that was the first time they actually had taken the lead. All game, even though they had some other opportunities to potentially take the lead earlier in the fourth quarter. That was the only time they did was when the clock expired. Uh, Allen and Lamar Jackson, both of them are just, they're exceptional to watch. I mean, they are they are so much fun. It is, it is very clear their teams, both of them, very much go where they take them. And Lamar had a very, very good game. I, I still think... You can see in the second half, too, Lamar, I think, was 8 of 13 for 36 yards in the second half passing-wise. Just not at all a good second-half performance by the Ravens' offense. But that's kind of been their M.O. to start this year. They're really, really good in the first half. They did remind me a little bit of that 2019 MVP season by Lamar in that first half. It was just they could do whatever they wanted. It, it looked so easy for them, and that was the most frustrating part is how easy it looked. And of course, uh, if you listen to show Bulldog, me and Bulldog were talking today. Uh, Mike Shope had the day off, but me and Bulldog were talking about that crazy play 
it, you know, you thought Lamar was getting sacked. He gets out of it, rolls out, throws it. It's like four times tipped, and it winds up being a Baltimore catch for like 25 yards. And it was just obnoxious that you thought, yeah, this is over. But the Bills ultimately come back from down 17. They win 23-20. to But now we look ahead to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, we know for a fact already, Kenny Pickett will be getting his first career start in the NFL against the Buffalo Bills at Highmark Stadium this Sunday at 1 p.m. I'm excited for Kenny Pickett. I didn't think Mr. Trubisky was really offering much for that offense. It was really, I think it's both him, I think it's Matt Canada, their offense coordinator, kind of just a hodgepodge of everything. But really, the Pittsburgh offense looks just dead. It looks flat. It looks like it's barely got any life. And you can kind of tell earlier in the season, like week two, I want to say a lot of the Steelers' offensive stars were kind of taking their shots at Matt Canada. And and Mitch Trubisky, when it kind of became announced, he he had left the Jets game early. Kenny Pickett got a run there, not due to injury. They, They pulled... Trubisky and and Pickett got some playing time. Uh, they ultimately lose to the Jets. I do think this is going to be the first losing season for Mike Tomlin as Steelers head coach and actually as a head coach at all. The Steelers are the first time he's been a head coach and he's been there, you know, forever. That you know, that's how I know him as is as the Steelers head coach. And they're one in three right now. And the Bills secondary for all the injuries they have, it looks great. Kyrie Elam was a real standout on Sunday against the Ravens, and I expect he's going to continue that. Tredavis White, while he's not back today, um, today was the first day for practice, obviously, for Wednesday, that he could be removed from the pup list and to begin practicing with the team. Uh, He continues to recover from his torn ACL. He suffered last Thanksgiving against the New Orleans Saints. They have not done that. And Seth Baccio was on earlier with Bulldog, and and I fully agree. And again, I'm not at practice every day, you know, like Sal is, but just hearing him say that he really thinks the Bills are doing whatever is best for Tredavious White, the person. That they're willing to, you know, go through these lumps with these rookies or or kind of, you know, not a hodgepodge, as, as we're seeing a lot of these guys are supremely talented, but just kind of seeing where it goes and just making sure Tredavious White is healthy. Sal also brought up the... Situation with Chris Godwin, the wide receiver for Tampa Bay, and how he had also torn his ACL a little bit after Travis White. He was brought back, and he plays a similar position to Travis White, cornerback, wide receiver. I mean, that's you have to be able to move. You have to have comfortability in your knee after an injury like that to be able to move the normal way you do. And he came back, and he and he clearly came back to really he injured his hamstring basically immediately. And they've been dealing with that, and only recently have the Bucks gotten him back, and they've somewhat found themselves in, into a hole after they lost to Kansas City on Sunday night. So now, I'm I, I I've gotten to a point, and I, and I said it earlier when the season started, and, and we knew officially that Tre'Davious White was going on the pup list. I thought really the game to see him come back would probably be Kansas City, and I still stand by that. I could see maybe like Friday. That Tre'Davious White is, you know, on a limited basis practicing practicing with the team, but for right now, I'm not really panicking about it. I'm I'm okay with it. I really like what Kyrie Elam is doing. Dane Jackson has been more than serviceable as kind of the lead cornerback right now, while the young guys kind of come along. He dealt with his neck injury, which ultimately wound up I, I, almost on like the same level of just like a pinched nerve in his neck, and that they were just really being 
cautious with it because he was back full force against the Ravens. He played great. Jordan Poyer is back. He did not practice, however, today. I think he's dealing with a rib injury. I do know after the Ravens game, I only saw this about like a half hour, 45 minutes after the game, he actually went into the x-ray room to get x-rays, so on his ribs, he did not practice today. However, I'm not really freaking out about that, not really at all. And we do know Jordan Phillips and Ed Oliver, they were limited today. Those two continue to get better. I really, really hope we get to see those two uh, back in the starting lineup, back healthy, because the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive line is atrocious. It is not good. They can't really run the ball. They're not getting any time at all for their quarterbacks to even make plays. You know, I, I said Matt Canada and Mitch Trubisky had a bit of a, both had a bit of a role in how Trubisky played for the first four games of the season before, obviously, he's now benched. Kenny Pickett, the error, that, that error begins now. Um, but their offensive line was also not good. It just it flat out wasn't good. I think Chase Claypool as well. He was a very exciting receiver his rookie year. I really liked him coming out of Notre Dame. And he just, he, there's no second year step. There's just, he can't even go up and get contested catches, contested balls at all. He's just, he's not that good. But George Pickens, the rookie out of Georgia, he looks like a very, very promising wide receiver. Pat Fryermuth, the young tight end as well for the Steelers, looks very, very good. But ultimately, the Steelers, they do just look like a team that essentially their ability has caught up to them. I think the last two years, they were sort of, this old, you know, once formidable team and, and, and brand that was somewhat clinging on to life. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt alone make the Steelers defense one of the best units in football and one of the most devastating as well because Minka Fitzpatrick at safety is a great turnover artist and TJ Watt is maybe one of the best sack artists in all of football. TJ Watt, of course, is still down. He's still on IR for these Steelers. And safety Minka Fitzpatrick, he missed practice today due to his lingering knee injury he has. So he, there's potential he's out, and there's potential that five of their six starting um, secondary players could also all be out for the Bills. The Bills fans know this all too well, kind of having very much what feels like a backup secondary out there. A lot of, a lot of the Bills' starting secondary was out against the Miami Dolphins. But... Big and good news today was on the offensive side of the ball, and that being wide receiver Gabe Davis. He was a full participant today. He's had a just a lingering ankle injury the past three weeks. So hopefully if he's healthy, if he's if fully a go, and the video shown today at practice, very quick from a lot of our local uh, media, he looks good. He looked healthy. He looked like he can really put weight on that ankle. Quick cuts are not what, they're, what, what they were doing to him the past two weeks where you, you'd see you know, a video – he makes a quick cut, doesn't really you know go right, and he's got a, somewhat of a kind of obvious limp, or he's clearly laboring a bit. And very much it showed the last few games where he's playing, and that's about all I can say. Uh, in Baltimore, just at least I, you know I have Gabe Davis's jersey, and I am a bit uh, superstitious. I don't like getting player jerseys just because they, they don't seem to go well for me. I have a Kiko Alonso jersey and a Jack Eichel jersey. I got them very, very shortly before they, uh, you know, their times in Buffalo were done. Um, but there was like a part of me that was very nervous that like I got this Gabe Davis jersey and he gets hurt. And now it's just, I think he has eight catches total on the season. That is just not good enough. But he has been dealing with his injury. Hopefully now, again, videos that were shown today, um, through our local media, it looks like he is much better, at, at least looks better. He looks healthier, and I hope so, because I think he can absolutely take advantage of this Pittsburgh secondary, which 
If there's no Minka Fitzpatrick. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And he's healthy enough to stretch the defense, which has been a bit of an issue for the Bills last two weeks. They've just not been able to stretch the defenses like they can because of Gabe Davis him not being 100%, and really there's just no one else next to him that can do that job. Of course, you know, Kumaro, who he did have a, a long catch earlier in the season, he is out. He's got a high ankle sprain. He's out for probably at least a month. And Diggs, you know, like they can only do so much with Diggs before, you know, people are just doubling up on him. And that's, and that's probably a normal situation anyways. So that's great news that he was a full participant. I don't imagine that changes at all the rest of the week. Hopefully we get to the point where we get Phillips and Edmonds, um, or not Phillips and Edmonds, Phillips and Oliver being a full go, and there's no issues there. But to recap the injury report for today, Benford, Crowder, Kumaro, those guys are not too surprising. Uh, Crowder did suffer a broken ankle against the Ravens. Benford, of course, has his broken hand, and as I mentioned, Kumaro has a high ankle sprain, and they were joined by Edmonds. He's dealing with a hamstring injury, as is Knox. Knox also has a foot injury. And then, of course, McKenzie and Poyer. McKenzie is still in concussion protocol, while Poyer, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, a bit of a rib injury going on for him right now. And then guys who are out with vet rest days, Daquan Jones, Von Miller, and Roger Saffold. Now, moving on to the rest of the NFL, because there was some you know, kind of interesting news today. Number one, uh, former Bills wide receiver Cole Beasley, he retired from the NFL. Beasley played 11 seasons in the league. He spent three of those with the Bills. I think that's probably, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, he was known on the Cowboys. That's the team he was on before the Bills. But, I mean, I think those are easily his most successful seasons in the NFL. Like, I mean, for a number of reasons, but mainly, number one, in 2020, Bees was named to the NFL second team All-Pro, and that's the only time in his career that he has had that uh, recognition. And, you know, it was interesting. I, I'm i not going to lie and say I, I didn't pick him up in fantasy. I did when he went to the Tampa Bay Bucks. I thought that could be a very, very interesting pickup for me and just, you know, kind of see what could happen there. And he, and he lasts two weeks. Uh, he, I, I believe his agent came out and said, that he, you know, he kind of wants to retire and just become a full-time father, and I can absolutely appreciate that. I have absolutely zero problem with that. Um, there's obviously been some news in the in the media, in the sports world, rec- very, very recently about um, 
Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen and what's going on there, and I don't really want to jump into that, but there are reports coming out from a number of news sources that they are hiring divorce lawyers. So when I see Cole Beasley wanting to retire to essentially just become a full-time father, it is relevant in the news right now. Uh, going to his career stats, though, I, yeah, his, easily his most successful period was with the Buffalo Bills. He had one really great year in Dallas, that being in 2016. 98 targets, 75 receptions, 833 yards, and five touchdowns. Uh, and then the next year, down to 300 yards, 600. And then he gets to Buffalo. He has seven, almost 800, almost 1,000, and then just shy under 700. Really that 2020 season, though, again, 89 receptions, 967 yards, four touchdowns, really, really good. I, you know, he's a guy who's undrafted out of SMU, who, by the way, are actually playing right now against UCF. I got that on the TV here in the studio. But it was a really, it was a really good story, and he, and he was absolutely fundamental to the development of Josh Allen and the offense as a whole and the Bills' offense we see today. Um, one big thing, especially with, with the recent, you know, kind of – I wouldn't even say development. It's just kind of like the understanding that the Bills' running game is is still not good, right? It, it's still just there's there's just not enough there. I'm somebody that does want to see James Cook get involved more, but to be completely honest, every time he does, it does seem like he has a negative play to start the day, and that, as a fan at least, is very very frustrating. But as someone that is a James Cook fan, I think he offers that element to the team that they just don't have. I do want to see him involved more, but Beasley was part of that run. That really changed the Bills' offense, and I and I and I and it makes me remember today, especially that start to the 2019 season. I mentioned already the Baltimore Ravens, their 2019 season, but for the Bills, it started in a really really cool way. Uh, against the Jets, they had two straight games back to back in New Jersey, Jets Giants. But in that Jets game, while they had to fight to get back into that, and it ultimately I took like a last not even a last second, like last three minutes, a touchdown pass to John Brown. The Bills opened up that game with like 19 straight passes. And that was something I don't think anyone expected, especially not in 2019. I mean, now, you know, Bills fans, we don't bat an eye at, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 straight passes. We barely bat an eye. But in 2019, to open up the season with 19 straight passes, number one, I think it really, for a lot of Bills fans, put Brian Dable somewhat on the map in terms of, you know, what you're thinking about consistently for a Bills game leading up to it and all that stuff of, you know, what's Dable going to do today with the offense? You know, Josh and and the offense had a few turnovers there, so that's ultimately what had to lead them to have a bit of a comeback victory there. But it was it was a really eye-opening moment where, oh, okay, this this team kind of trusts itself to throw the ball. They feel comfortable throwing the ball. And of course that takes, you know, a nuclear event in 2020 where they're just they are chucking the ball down the field they are scoring points at will 2019 was sort of the it was the blueprint to what they ultimately want to do what the ultimate final construction is but 2019 was a bit of the blueprint and Beasley played a huge part in that you know no one was ever you had a few people that were kind of convinced John Brown may be a one I think realistically it is now as as we've moved past you know Josh's second year now into his fifth year it becomes pretty obvious that Josh just works really really well with a number of wide receivers. Stephon Diggs has career years here, and I think I think a lot of that comes from the fact that Stephon Diggs is a top-five receiver in the NFL, but also his connection with Allen and the fact that Allen is just not somebody that's ever nervous or gun-shy gun to get, you know, talented receivers the ball. He's not, you know, he can deal with personalities, I think. And, and it's not that Diggs has one, 
but, you know, potentially, you know, years down the road, there may be a, a big personality for the Bills to deal with that wide receiver. I don't imagine Josh is going to have much of an issue dealing with that at all. It's just his personality. Who's open? I'm going to get him the ball. I don't care. I'm going to get him the ball. And, of course, you know, again, Stephon Diggs is not that guy. I, we, we've seen now with Minnesota and, and kind of his issues there was more to do with the offensive system and Kevin Stefanski. He really wasn't a diva anyways. I mean, as you can see, they were underutilizing him. I'm now somebody that believes Stephon Diggs could potentially have a Hall of Fame career to end his career and sort of like maybe put a lot of Minnesota into context and really look at his Buffalo career. But if not, he's going to look back at those Minnesota years and be a bit frustrated that he wasn't getting the ball more because he's clearly a better wide receiver than Adam Thielen, even though in his time in Minnesota, they really favored Thielen there. But back to Beasley. He played a big part in that sort of development of the offense development of Josh, because yes, while John Brown was never really considered that number one A receiver, as I was saying, Cole Beasley was very clearly a stud slot receiver. And I think that was the key difference there is that, you know, going into that offseason where they eventually do trade for Stephon Diggs, you weren't sitting there going, you yeah, but they really, they really got to look, you know, at the entire receiving room. Cole Beasley's spot going into 2020 was absolutely secure. And he puts up the best slot season that year, that's ultimately what gets him on the All-Pro team, the second team, and you know it, it was a big career year for him. There was some other stuff going on off the field, especially with coronavirus and all that stuff, that you know kind of took away some of the shine of that really, really good season by Cole. But I, you know, I, I, you know, I may not agree with it. It's not really you know what I cared about, though. I thought Cole Beasley was great for this team at the time, and as we can see here, it's it's probably a really good thing that the Bills didn't bring him back. I think it was pretty obvious last season that he was dealing with more injuries. He wasn't on the field nearly as much, and they moved off of him. Now we're kind of seeing the Bills try to transition to a a new era in their slot receiver role. Right now it's kind of up in the air, though. Crowder has a broken ankle. Isaiah McKenzie's in concussion protocol, so it's going to be up to rookie Khalil Shakir out of Boise State to see what he can do. I'm a big, big fan of Shakir. I think anyone that's listened to this show over the last few months and has heard me talk about Shakir, knows that. I think he can do a lot more than just be a slot guy. I think he's got some of the smoothest hands on the team. I think he's a great route runner, and I like what he can do when he gets the ball in, the hand, in his hands. And we saw that in Baltimore where he took a screen pass for, I think, 13, 14 yards off the line of scrimmage. It was, it was a great play for him, and it was kind of the, the opposite that we've seen with James Cook, who seemingly gets some of those opportunities, gets a little swing pass out to him, and it's a drop. He had that in Baltimore as well where Shakir – First pass to him is like I think in the third quarter, and he gets a big first down as the Bills are driving. I I want to say they score a touchdown on that drive, so it was, it was it was a big drive for the Bills, and Shakir played a big part into that as well. But getting Gabe Davis back will be huge. I think he's become clearly the Bills' second wide receiver, and I think really he's, you know that's that's been a revolving door. So I I really hope he's healthy and gets back to what we saw in L.A. against the Rams, where he scores the first touchdown of the Bills' season. You know. They they did a lot of stuff that they did with Gabe in his rookie year where they schemed him open. They just you know launched the ball 25 yards down the field, and Gabe Davis is just wide open because he was schemed open. Um, I think we're also we're going to have to start maybe seeing Dawson Knox used a bit more. I, I think that's going to be a thing. He's yet to really justify that contract, right? And that was something that I, I know Mike Shope has talked a little bit about, and I'm I'm now on that that bandwagon a little bit too of, I'm I'm glad they signed him because I really like what Knox offers, but is his target share, is the amount of catches he has really going to be worth it, or is he just going to be a red zone guy? And right now, 
it's it's not totally worth it. You, you know, and it's not that I'm, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, bang on Knox here, but it's not totally worth it yet. And so hopefully with, you know, a, a number of injuries here and a bit of a, a weakened Pittsburgh team heading, and you, you got to get ready for the Chiefs as well. I'm a Bills fan, so I'm allowed to look forward. The team is not. I am. Knox was a big part of that win in the regular season. I would like to see him starting to get more reps, more touches as the season goes on because I think he can be a big part of this Bills offense. But for right now, they're just not using him nearly enough. We are going to take a quick time out, though, when we come back. The Sabres regular season is just around the corner. It starts next Thursday against the Ottawa Senators, but the Sabres do have one more preseason game, that being against the Pittsburgh Penguins this upcoming Friday. We'll talk a little bit about the vibes that are kind of going around with the Sabres. I was somebody that was sort of, I, I was very excited for the Sabres season, but I was kind of a little bit, you know, let's wait and see. But this preseason and the look of some of these guys has got me really, really excited. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next half hour or so. Talked a little bit about the Bills in the first segment. I went to Baltimore, got to see them live, got to see Lamar Jackson for the first time live, which is really, really cool. And where I think the team is kind of going with you know, the Pittsburgh game, I'm I'm really not nervous about Pittsburgh. I know they beat us last year in Week One. And I was super, super confident the Bills would start one and zero last year because I just thought there was no way uh, after going to an AFC Championship game and all the fans ba- being back that they would lose. They ultimately did. Um, but with that being said, T.J. Watt is out. Minka Fitzpatrick, even if he's in, is going to be very, very banged up. And I, I I think the Bills kind of know after that, after Jacksonville last year, they really. They cannot take any team lightly. You will be every team's likely biggest game of the year or at least one of the toughest opponents you're going to play all year. And I also talked a little bit about uh, the Bills' legacy for Cole Beasley and and kind of what he meant for this team, especially back in 2019 and 2020, and how um, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to miss the, you know, the, the, the steady hand that was Cole Beasley in the slot position. He didn't offer any crazy athleticism, but... He, he was pretty much always there, and you could really count on him on third downs. And we're kind of we're, we're in the middle of that transition in slot receiver right now with with two injuries. Rookie Khalil Shakir is likely going to get a major major you know rep boost because of that. So we'll see what happens. But moving on to the NHL, the Buffalo Sabers who have had a very very good start to the preseason. They sit right now at four and one after another win last night. And man, I like I just I I before we jump into this, I guess I'll just say right now what I thought my my expectations were going to be going into the season. I was not somebody that thought about playoffs. I was very much somebody that thought let's have an exciting season. Let's let's see more growth from the young guys such as Dylan Cousins, Peyton Krebs, of course, and then some of the really young guys who are coming up. I think that would probably include Jack Quinn and maybe even J.J. Paterka. However, especially from his play this preseason, I imagine he will start the season in Rochester. But I wanted to see more growth more than anything. I, I, I looked at the goalie situation, Eric Comrie coming over in free agency. It should be um, a steady hand between the pipes, but we will see. Uh, Craig Anderson still being here, which is I'm up in the air about it. I think them getting Comrie has, has sort of leveled my expectations on that a bit more than what it was initially, which was, oh, you cannot just bring back a 41-year-old and expect that to be your guy. Uh, I want to see a little bit more from uh, UPL, Kopeka Lukanen, but we'll see what happens there. But that, And that was before 
preseason. I also want to see Tage Thompson and really make sure that that was not a one-year wonder, especially after he got his big deal um, just really just a few weeks ago, about a month ago or so. But the Sabres sit at 4-1 in the preseason, and especially last night. I didn't get to watch the game live. I did watch the highlights uh, earlier today, right before work, and I was kind of keeping an eye on that. And I, I wanted to see a little bit based off what I saw on Twitter yesterday. And kind of, of course, Tage Thompson, I just mentioned him, uh, gets a Gordie Howe hat trick in the first period, goal, assist, and a fight. Uh, love to see that. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, they looked fast, though. They did look fast. They were all over Carolina last night. And they did get cocky. Paul Hamilton joined Bulldog in the 6 o'clock hour and kind of said the same thing. that They just, you know, they let up, they got cocky, and, and very quickly became 3-2. Uh, they were able to close out the game, though. Uh, Paterka put away the empty netter. Good to see that, especially because he's had somewhat of a weaker camp. But the vibes around this team are so, so much better than they ha- really have been in a long time. And I don't, I'm not saying, you know, 10, 15 years, that would be ridiculous because the Eichel vibes early in his career were very high. I would say, especially after getting Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane in the same. I want to say the same night. I, I might be remembering that wrong, but it feel, I felt like the same night both those two wound up. No, 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 because Kane came over. It was drafting Eichel and getting Ryan O'Reilly. That was the same night. My apologies. But I think those teams had very, very good vibes. But there was, you know, the defense was bad. Uh, the coaching at the time was also not great. And really, they had talent, but not really... I don't know, I, I guess really a good feeling around the team at all. And the coaching was terrible. And even then, like, GMs and the scouting was obnoxiously bad. And now that feels like it has turned a corner. That Kevin Adams really is putting in a lot of confidence for a lot of Sabres fans of, no, I just I, I trust what he's going to do. I trust the process that he is putting out there. And that was something that just you didn't have for years. You just did not have that because they were not a good drafting team. They constantly had misses, but now you're starting to see, you know, guys like Matthew Savoy bills are, excuse me, the Sabres drafted him ninth overall in just this past draft. And he already looks very, very good. And then you add in the fact the two young goalie prospects who both are going to be in college, Eric Portillo and Levi, Devin Levi, excuse me, uh, look spectacular during the prospects challenge when those two were up. It, it they were the stars for me. Levi especially just looks like he is going to be a bona fide star in the NHL. And really, for me going into the season, it was kind of waiting for those guys again. The younger guys get a year better, get a year under your belt more. And just wait for the young goalies to come in and probably in this offseason make a big move. Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars has kind of been a name that's really been going on around the NHL, especially the last few days. Even today as well, Kevin Weeks of NHL Network was kind of a little bit of breadcrumbs here. Of you know, He's hearing stuff. Is, is, is Robertson going to get a big deal with Dallas um, after the Matthew Barzell deal yesterday? He's probably going to get a lot more money. Again, 40-goal scorer, 23 years old, I want to say. I want to make sure on that. Yes, 23 years old. Barzell 25, and even then, I want to say Robertson has scored He scored 40 goals. I don't even think Barzell has that in the last two seasons. Barzell's good, yes, and, and I'm not saying Robertson's like that much better than him, but as a you know a wing talent, 
Of course, as a Sabres fan, I kind of wanted them to get him. I, I wanted the idea of them to trade for him. And, and I have really enjoyed, uh, I liked a few tweets that were talking about this too, that, you know, we're now at that point, you know, Sabres fandom at least, where you sometimes get that little bit of an unrealistic feeling about them. Not necessarily what they're going to do, but in terms of, all right, you want the team to trade for Jason Robertson. I'm going to give up two completely unwanted players and a second-round pick. And it's like, that's not it's not how this works. And for those that know, uh, when I got the show from uh, Sneaky Jody Biasi a few months ago, um, one of the first things that was really going on in sports world was not only Johnny Goudreau going to Columbus, but Matthew Kachuk also likely wanting out of Calgary. Uh, now, at this point, obviously, we know he's with the Florida Panthers. But at the time, I had kind of talked about the fact that I would really, really like the Sabres, Kevin Adams, to really dive into that and see what could happen. Before even that, you know, it'd come out that, you know, Kachuk was out and like, the deal's going to be moving fast. I'd set the trade deadline. I would love for the team to really go after it. R- you know, wherever the standings are, go for it. Show that you're serious. Show some free agents who I you know, I don't really know how many free agents the team really is going to want to add, you know, going into next year. Okay, we'll see how this year goes. But at the time, there was an obvious name that I'm like, oh, they're going to have to replace him. You know, not with a young prospect coming up, because that's a thing too. But it was more, you know, go try to get him. You're loading the prospect pool. Most rankings, websites, and, and, and even NHL Network and NHL.com and all that, they pretty much all have the Sabres as the best prospect pool in the NHL. They have done exceptionally well at both getting talent through trades, young prospect talent through trades, and really, really doing well in the draft. They've done really, really well through the draft. And, of course, they've had, you know, number one overall picks in Rasmus Dahlin, who he very much looked like he turned the corner in the second half of last year. Owen Power as well. He continues to just look supremely comfortable in his role for such a young age. It feels like, yeah, he's just going to be one of the best defensemen in hockey, and especially he has an offensive mind as well. That could be devastating for the Sabres in a good way. Uh, But then you get guys like Matthew Savoy, who they pick him, and immediately he looks pretty darn good. He looks ready for the NHL. He's going to go back to the juniors. That's not too surprising. And then Jack Quinn. Who I, to me, Jack Quinn has kind of been like the, the the obvious one because a lot of Sabres fans at the time were not happy they had got him. They were not happy at all. Marco Rossi was really the name that a lot, I saw at least on Twitter that night that Sabres fans really wanted. When they picked Quinn, it was sort of this, no, what are you doing, and all this. And, and all Quinn has done, essentially, last year especially, was have the greatest AHL season we've seen in like 10 years. He looked like a man amongst boys, he dealt with injuries, he dealt with mono last year, and it didn't matter. He was incredible to for last year, and, and he had a bit of a down uh, spell during the Rochester Americans. Really cool playoff run last year, but he continues to just, he looks like an NHL player. He absolutely looks like an NHL player, and a guy that can do a lot of damage in the NHL. His scoring ability is what makes this so exciting. He does just seem to be a guy that you just think, that's 30-plus goals every season. That's the kind of feeling you get from Jack Quinn. J.J. Paterka maybe seems to be potentially that more overall dangerous player. I think he does have to have a little bit more time in Rochester. But then, again, you have guys like Peyton Krebs, who they got in the Jack Uggle trade, who he's never looked better. You know, with, with, with the Golden Knights for, I think, two years he was there. He was up and down between the Miners and, and the Golden Knights. He never looked that comfortable with the Sabres. He looked really, really good. And that also goes along with the other guy, they got in the Eichel trade, that being Alex Tuck, who 
for a lot of Sabres fans, myself included, thinks he could be captain material. And most NHL heads would tell you, for all of his years in Vegas, again, he's only 25, the best brand of hockey he played was in Buffalo this past season. And I would agree with that, you know, stats-wise as well. But they're building a really, really good brand of hockey. They look fast last night. I mentioned that earlier. And it is preseason. But preseason is less of, less so like the NFL where it's sort of like, no, really, do not look deeply into any of this. Where it's a bit different in hockey where it's like, no, nah, it's all about the vibes, baby. Jeremy White said it last night. You know, there's really no preseason pledge for preseason hockey. It's just, it's all vibes. It's all vibes. And the brand the Sabres are selling right now, Don Granato is head coach, who I, the one thing I truly miss, I, I was on the, the morning run for seven, eight months with Howard and Jeremy. Uh, I love where I'm at now, but I loved every Tuesday hearing Don Granato talk. Now I, I can listen to it. I don't have to work, which is super nice, but you know, doing that live and hearing it live, I, he's he, one of my favorite segments uh, to listen to every week. Was was Don Granato with Howard and Jeremy on Tuesdays, and he's building a very very exciting team. Him and Kevin Adams are building a very very exciting team that I think Sabres fans are are really excited for. You can tell even on social media for years, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, especially, it was one of the most toxic places to be. When the Bills were on their rise, or you know they kind of were getting better, they broke the drought, and even then when they weren't, you know Bills Twitter was never this toxic cesspool where you're just like, I oh I don't want to be around here, I kind of want to mute things and stuff. You never felt that with the Bills. The drought almost became sort of a of a badge of honor, like you knew it would break at some point again because the Bills were never the worst team in football. They were never the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They never really reached rock bottom. They were always just that middling team, just absolute mediocrity in, in every sense of that word. And, of course, McDermott gets here, they break the playoff uh, drought, and then they get Josh Allen, and we're at where we are today. It was opposite for the Sabres. It was, it was absolutely opposite for the Sabres. You could say for like a six-year period, the Sabres were without a doubt the worst sports team in North America. You could really make an argument there. And even if you were making a list of all of the North American sports teams and who was the worst run over a five-year period, ten-year period, the Sabres would likely be on that list. If it's a top-five list or on that list, top three, probably on that list. Where now, they seem to be more... They seem to be one of the best well, best rounded in hockey right now. And I, I think they're definitely thinking forward more. They're thinking long-term more. They're seeing what teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche are doing, which is a longevity to it. This is not going to be a quick hitter like the Las Vegas Golden Knights where it's, okay, we're here, and in five years expect us to be at the top of the lottery because the worst thing that happened to that franchise was that taste, that, that little taste of almost having the cup. And now they are one of the grossest organizations in hockey, if not all of hockey, where Tampa Bay and Colorado – have really built or really built what feels very sustainable. You know, with with Colorado who just won the cup, Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon are are two unbelievable talents that they have just they're there. They're they're the guys, they're locked up and they can keep moving forward. They didn't even have great goaltending, but they didn't really need to because they could just score at absolute will. 
I wonder if the Sabres are still missing that piece. It's always, That's why I'm constantly looking at guys like a Chuck, J, uh, Jason Robinson. There's constantly this feeling of, but maybe you need that that absolute A-plus star. Because while I like Tuck and while I like Krebs, that was what Eichel was. May have been a terrible leader in the locker room. May not have been a great person. Maybe did have to leave Buffalo for the for the Sabres to take that next step. But at least in terms of A-plus talent, that's what Eichel was. And I wonder if the Sabres are still missing that. Savoy, though, looks great. Jack Quinn, obviously, as I mentioned him, had one of the best AHL seasons in the last 10 years. And Rasmus Dahlin, I think his peak could be on the level of Kale McCarr. And if you have that, it's almost 100 points from a defenseman. That's ridiculous. And if you can get that, that can be sort of that last piece. But for right now, where I'm sitting with the Sabres, initially, you know, a few months ago, my expectations were just get better. I, I just want to clearly see guys get better. Tage Thompson, show me it wasn't a one-year wonder. Get closer to 80 points, if not hit 80 points. Krebs, you know, shoot a little bit more. Have more assists. Cousins, just the bad luck you had at the end of the season. Get rid of that and have, you know, close to a 30-goal season. Skinner, the same thing, and, and, and move down the list. Now, be competitive in the spring or getting into the spring. Be competitive where you're showing teams that it's not just Ottawa and Detroit that are building these really exciting young teams. That Buffalo is right there, and they're kind of just a year behind them. That next year, you'll get aggressive in free agency. You'll get aggressive in trades. That when a guy like DeBurkamp becomes available, DeBrincat, excuse me, becomes available, you jump at that trade. When a guy like Matthew Kachuk becomes available, you jump at that trade and get aggressive with it. My expectations haven't changed completely. It's not a complete 180. But with their first five games being Ottawa, Florida, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, I do think the the feeling around this team could change drastically. I like them against Ottawa, Florida, not really, Edmonton, ugh. Calgary, and Vancouver, I do. And if you're three and two after five, especially that five, I think the feeling around that team is going to carry into December. January, February. Because last year, this team, at every big hurdle, they met the expectations. They surpassed them in most cases. And now this team's a year older. Granado is his second full-year head coach. I feel pretty good about where the Sabres are heading. They're not the Bills yet. They don't have that supreme, you know, God-tier athlete that Josh Allen is. But maybe they don't need it. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, Aaron Judge has hit 62 home runs. I'm going to give my opinion on where I sit with that with the AL home run record compared to the MLB home run record, and we'll do that to wrap up the show here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Going to wrap up the show here. Quick final segment as we finish up a Wednesday here on WGR. And Aaron Judge has officially passed Roger Maris in home runs. Did that last night, number 62. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, quick opinion on it. Very quick for me. I, I am an Angels fan. So, for, you know, my passion in baseball is kind of dead. Um, I kept up with the Mets this year because they're a lot of fun. They end up losing the NL East to the Atlanta Braves after holding on to that lead basically the whole season, so that's a super Mets move from them. Um, Trout had his 40th home run today. Love that. But 
in terms of judge, I just, I don't know. I'm not willing to just forget the steroid era. I'm just, I'm just not. I thought I could maybe do it. I thought I could just, you know, yeah, judge the new home run guy. Hit 62, the rest of them all took steroids, but I can't. I, I can't. I had this conversation with my brother. I had it with my dad. I've had it with a few of my friends as well. My one buddy is a huge Yankees fan, and even he kind of agreed with this as well. It's just like, yeah, but that was maybe the most fun in modern baseball was the steroid era. And I think it was very disingenuous from Major League Baseball to, it felt like, really pushed this as the home run chase. That it was not just effectively a Yankees record. And that's where, for me, I'm never going to forget Bonds and McGuire and Sosa. I wasn't alive, or why well, I actually was. I was literally an infant during the home run chase between Sosa and McGuire. But I've watched documentaries on it. I've heard you know people who were alive then talk about it. And, and you can see the smile that comes to the face. Even when they're disinterested in baseball now, they remember that summer. I'm not going to forget that. And it's not like I think Judge is a bad guy. I'm stoked that he hit 62. Great for him. That's awesome. Because I kind of want him to spurn the Yankees. That's just me. But it felt like baseball really was hoping that people would sort of grab onto this and run with it like that summer. And it just never became that. But instead of sort of moving away from it and kind of keeping up with it, obviously it was the biggest story in baseball for months. They instead shoved it down people's throats, and it really did make it sort of one of those that once he hit it, nobody really cheered for him. They just went, finally, I can go back to the game I was watching instead of you you know, going to this or cutting the screen in half, which no one liked. That's going to do it here for a Wednesday here on the Nightcap. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Show Up with the Bulldog as we get very, very close. It's going to be Thursday. So, of course, we will have Joe, Joe Ostrowski at 3.30 and, of course, Ross Tucker at 5, becoming one of the biggest segments of the week, especially for Show Up with the Bulldog. Uh, the, the guy is just a blast. So if you haven't heard him yet, make sure to tune in then. And, of course, I will be back for the Nightcap starting at 7. And, yeah. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Colts and Broncos because while I'm not there with Mike Shope about suing the Broncos, they are one of the ugliest teams to watch. So we'll do that as we get ready for Thursday Night Football tomorrow on the Nightcap. But that'll do it for me. Have a wonderful rest of your night. This has been the Nightcap. I am Zach Jones, and this is WGR. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.